The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, episode 166. Captain DeBridge, Spock here. Thank you, so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the Enterprise episode, Shuttle Pod 1. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Howdy, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Sika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very good, thanks. Sorry, I anticipated your howdy. (laughs) Jimmy, I stole that from you. That's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Folks, remember to like the Secrets of Star Trek on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash starquestmedia. We're also on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. We're on Instagram as well, at starquestnetwork. Uh, So find us in all those places. I also want to tell you about another show on the StarQuest Network that you're going to love called Let's Science. And it's brought to you by our friends, Caroline, Lindsay, and Lino from Australia, who have a great little show. It's it's short, 20 minutes or so uh, every other week. And they talk about some fun, cool science topics, lots of space topics. They have one recent one on tardigrades in space. We know how tardigrades in space go. So uh, definitely check it out. You can either find it wherever you find podcasts called Let's Science or at sqpn.com slash science. But today, and also, by, by the way, keep stick around to the end. We have some listener feedback, and we definitely want you to hear that. But for this episode, we're talking about ShuttlePod 1, an Enterprise episode. Jimmy, can you give us a recap of uh, ShuttlePod 1? So uh, this time, the Star Trek Enterprise series does its version of Apollo 13 and Galileo 7 by giving us ShuttlePod 1. While Malcolm and Trip are away on a shuttle mission, the Enterprise is damaged in a way that leaves wreckage on an asteroid and then has to conveniently fly off to take people home like a taxi service. While they're doing that, Malcolm and Trip's shuttle conveniently gets back early and they think the Enterprise has been destroyed. Also, their shuttle has been conveniently damaged in a way that causes every system to almost every system to fail. So they have no way to save themselves and believe they will die due to lack of oxygen. Consequently, Trip and Malcolm spend the time they have left obsessively being unpleasant to each other. Eventually, they learn that the Enterprise is not destroyed and they do a desperate move to save themselves. At the end, the Enterprise swoops in and saves them just like we knew it would. The end. Now, I, I've commented that on most episodes, it takes me like 10 to 12 sentences to summarize the main plot points. Uh-huh. This one took six. <laughs> oh, this is even less than Doctor Who. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you made a good point, which is because we didn't say this in the, our discussion of Galileo 7, but was was the events of Apollo 13 before or after? After. After. After Galileo 7. Interesting. So the so. Apollo 13 was 1970? I guess it was, yeah. Yeah, and, and Galileo 7 was a first season. Yeah, yep. yeah. 
it's it's interesting, but because uh, the 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 confluence of those things. But yeah, Shuttle Pod One, Galileo Seven, well, thirteen. They all have a very similar. Uh, there's similar stories here. It's a lifeboat story, mm-hmm. basically. Yep. Um, and, and of course, they're they're both blind and deaf. They you yes. know, and their sensors are out, their comms are out. They can't see anybody. They can't hear anyone. They can't talk to anyone. You know, so yeah, they think so, they're alone in the world. So I made a list of some of the things that have failed on the shuttle. For they have a plot convenient sensor failure a plot-convenient communications failure, a plot-convenient distress beacon failure, a plot-convenient navigation failure, a plot-convenient diversion to another location by the Enterprise, a plot-convenient early arrival by the shuttle back at the rendezvous point, plot-convenient damage to the Enterprise, um, and then later they have a plot-convenient heating system failure. So, well, oh, and oxygen's plot convenient yep. oxygen supply loss. Right. So it's just, it. I found the number of things that are just failing for plot reasons mm-hmm. implausible in the extreme and distracting. Right. Now, they try to give us a reason to explain all this, which is there are micro black holes in this asteroid belt, and if you run into one, it'll cause problems. And that's apparently the reason why... The Enterprise took some damage when an alien ship that had itself been damaged ran ran into them. And it's why the shuttle takes damage of several kinds. But this is all wrong. Micro black holes wouldn't do that to you. And and even so, the fact that micro black holes are taking out just the right convenient, causing these convenient things to happen any one of which didn't happen and we'd have an entirely different episode. Right. It, it's just strange credibility past the breaking point for me. Well, and, and the fact that it didn't affect either of them as far as like actually hitting them, you know, it hit all these different systems in these, this shuttle pod, right. but neither, neither trip nor uh, Malcolm were hurt. Well, just even the, the, the basic premises of why they're even out there. They took a, an impulse shuttle pod to travel 20,000 kilometers from the enterprise. Which is nothing in interstellar yeah, yeah. distance when you have a warp drive engine. Right. Well, <laughs> the Enterprise's uh, sensors, we've established in this season, can reach out light years. Why are they traveling 20,000 you know, kilometers? It, it, it doesn't never, make any sense. I was never clear on the purpose of their mission. I mean, they do say what it was, but it goes by in like a sentence. They're testing some yeah, some, some kind of system. test, and they needed to get away from the Enterprise to do it. Also, the Enterprise has a, has a stupid mission here. <laughs> yeah. The first thing is they're mapping an asteroid field. Mm-hmm. Right. Really? <laughs> like, who cares? I mean, right. are you planning on colonizing this? Let the colonists do it. How is Earth Central going to benefit in any material way by having a map of, of the orbits of a bunch of rocks in a star system that is this far away, you know, where you're going to have like a three-day mapping mission. It's like, just take a picture of the solar system and be done with it. (laughs) Especially for a ship that its purpose is to explore as much as it can, as quickly as it can. Yeah. You know, it's not designed to be, uh, you know, Enterprise D, let's spend a month circulating around the solar system, checking out every little detail we can type of mission. Look, a comet. Yeah, I know. Remember that yeah. one? Oh. 
and and then what we don't even see there are these aliens called the Tinians, something like that mm-hmm. who who we don't even get to see and they had their own ship and they were like docking with the enterprise and, and things went wrong because they were hit by a black hole and it smashed yeah. off part of the enterprise and i don't th- i don't think we ever even get to see the damage to the enterprise itself we, we do no they 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 go out in a in another shuttle pod to look at it the captain does. okay i i remember yeah. that scene but i didn't remember seeing the damage itself if we do it's really brief yeah, yeah, it ripped off kind of between a couple of the doors and one of the doors of the, the yeah. shuttle pod. And that's, of course, that's what they see is the part that rips off between the doors. So. Yeah. So the the Tinians or whatever they are were told, because we don't get to see them, that they had been on that ship for generations and they're shaken up and we've got to run, take them to their home planet like we're Uber right now <laughs> and leave our guys in this star system you know, mm-hmm. testing their thing, yeah. really? How about wait a couple of days until our guys get back and then we'll take you to your home world? Or- there, there is a line that the Te- uh, the Tesnians, as, as I guess the name, mm-hmm. is that they need at least six hours of boron gas a day and they've got just enough to get them home. Oh, yeah. And that, like, we're going to be able to environmentally house these people. Boron boils at 4,600 degrees Fahrenheit. If you've got <laughs> boron gas... Wow, yeah. you've got some extreme temp- some extreme environmental chamber temperature tolerances yeah. on Enterprise. And, right. I mean, how much longer would it have taken for the Enterprise to, I don't know, look at their sensors, go, oh, the shuttle's over there. Let's go pick them yeah. up. Let's go over there, <laughs> take Grab a little, them, tiny little 40,000 kilometer detour. Right. Well, we speak about this as a bottle episode. This is extreme bottle episode. There are no background actors at all. Right. There's, yeah. only, there's no guest stars. There's we only have the pr- seven actors and three sets. And, yep. and six of them only we only see six of them we get Meriwether over the comms i think is the and only hoshi. one uh, hoshi oh hoshi over the comms that's right uh and no bridge we don't even see the bridge in this one so there's extreme yeah. we're saving money and on this one. <laughs> and that was the point yeah mm-hmm. they had spent tons of money early on in in the series and they didn't have enough and so they needed a bottle episode to uh to make the budget work and so they did this and and I don't get it. The cast often likes the stupidest episodes. They they love that, this one. Yeah. They love this one and it's like, no, this is a terrible episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I it, it it's not it's not too problematic conceptually. I mean, we've just pointed out a bunch of plot holes, but I could fix all those. It doesn't yeah. have to be the ridiculous. I mean, all you a need lifeboat is A lifeboat episode is cool. Yeah, yeah. All you need is is shuttle pod has been separated from Enterprise for reasons and you can come up with better reasons than what they did. Yeah. yeah. And then you have the, the psychological drama of the characters. Now, the way they've set it up here, the part of the character's psychological drama is they believe that the Enterprise has been destroyed. Mm-hmm. Well, so they have no hope of being rescued. Okay, fine. Now, we, the viewers, know Enterprise has not been destroyed because of the name of the show. Mm-hmm. Right. But what you and they show us early on. What, right. what you don't have to do is shatter the illusion immediately after the opening credits by oh, showing right. us Enterprise is just fine. That's true. You yeah. could at least yeah. play that out. Yeah, because now we know we you've shown us that Enterprise is just fine, and that means it's just a matter of time until they come swooping in to save our guys. Right. So 
I think it was a mistake to show Enterprise being just fine so early. But then if you if you want a psychodrama between two characters in a lifeboat, they need they need to do something different than what they did here. They either need to start as reasonable human beings and then go mad under the stress, mm-hmm. perhaps having a reconciliation at the end, or they need to start being under stress and then have a a bonding like Gilgamesh and Enkidu. Mm-hmm. And they don't really do either one of those. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, we do kind of have a bonding at the end. But we don't have a clear arc for these characters' emotions and how they relate to each other. They are obsessively complaining about each other and barbing each other. And mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're both just acting incredibly unpleasant. And that makes this unpleasant to watch. Yeah, so a part of the motivation of the episode seems to be, let's find out more about Malcolm. Because that's yeah. really, mm-hmm. we know about Trip. we know a lot about him. This is Malcolm. Uh, we see him in the beginning, he's reading Ulysses and talking up British core curriculum and throwing shade on comic books and ridiculous science fiction, which is a wink-wink nod at yeah, the I, audience. I, I do like Tripp's pushback line that Superman has layers and layers of meaning, which that was good. <laughs> he, he actually does. He does. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, Malcolm's line. Father Corey, this is this is the one I, I saved just oh, for you. Don't, don't bring if it up. Only, if, I'm offended. If only Dr. Cochran had been a European, the Vulcans would have been far less reticent to help us. But no, he had to be from Montana. He probably spent his nights reading about cowboys and Indians. Father hey. Corey, do you spend your nights reading cowboys and Indians? Absolutely. <laughs> and it shows that we're the smarter people because we're the ones who invented the warp drive, not the Europeans. <laughs> a, a point trip makes. Exactly. I I heard that. I got you know. Obviously, I didn't know you when I first watched this, but I heard I heard that in this one. I'm like, oh man, I gotta save that for Father Corey. Oh. <laughs> um, well, you know, and th- to be fair, they, they I don't think they've ever established that Zephyr Cochran is actually orig- originally from Montana, but yes, that is you know Bozeman, Montana, which is about 150 miles southeast of where I live. Yep. is where the first uh, contact occurred. Will occur nice. in 2063. Will <laughs> yeah. Um. I I do find it hard to believe also that. Archer doesn't know who his acting chief engineer would be in the absence of Trip. Really? Yeah. That was kind of dumb. Uh, But the thing that gets me is, is why are they so quick to conclude that the Enterprise is destroyed? That was the thing I kept kept getting, like having, so they see one piece of a crash bit of the hull that says Enterprise on it. But chief engineer, like you swoop in, get close, start looking at stuff. How much like the Enterprise was this alien ship? That and holds it, their atmosphere's boron gas. It's got to be very different oh, kind of ship. And, and it even didn't even say Enterprise. It was just zero one because it was just a piece <laughs> that had were from the NX zero one. I know. Right. Well, there could be alien ships where zero one is the name of the ship. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, and, and a circle and a straight line are two of the most basic geometrical figures yeah. there are. They're undoubtedly going to show up in lots of alphabets all over the universe. Yes. So I think I think that went by way too quick. I didn't think it made it clear to the audience why they would think the Enterprise was destroyed. And frankly, I could prove, if I had been on the shuttle pod, I could have proved in 15 seconds the Enterprise has not been destroyed because antimatter reactor 
Yeah. If the Enterprise had been destroyed here, we would have seen a massive radiation flash and we would see massive damage and all of these asteroids in this area would be shattered and we would not be looking at a piece of debris on this one. At a minimum, right. we would see an enormous hole that had been punched in the asteroid field when the antimatter hit matter and detonated. Right. And also, 20,000 kilometers away, do you honestly think the shuttle wouldn't get at least a shockwave? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right. It's, uh, it's just so frustrating because I like the idea of a lifeboat episode. I like, I mean, Galileo 7 worked. I mean, that was a good episode. And like, this could have been good, but it's just, they only, it's like put half the effort into it. You know what I mean? They, they said, ah, good enough. Let's go move on with the rest of the, 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 what we're writing. Cause we, we want to talk about to Paul's butt and you have oh, Malcolm man. Reed having a sex dream about her. Like, ah, <laughs> why, why? This, oh, it's just yeah. so frustrating. So, so let's talk about that. There is a moment <laughs> halfway through the partway through the episode. It's actually fairly early on where we go into an, obvious dream sequence right and where um where malcolm is dreaming that he's back on the enterprise that he and trip have been rescued and something heroic happened but he doesn't remember it and archer and t'pol won't tell him and then he starts and then t'pol starts coming on to him now it's not a sex dream they don't have sex in this right, right. but mm -hmm. they it it he is exploring his um attraction towards her in this dream and my notes say, obvious, clumsy, hand-fisted, sexualized wish-fulfillment dream sequence. Mm -hmm. And then he keeps repeating the word stinky as, a, as a, his desired nickname for himself, which is implausible on its own. <laughs> and it just was so obvious and... Embarrassing. <laughs> embarrassing. Is, oh, this was just painful to watch. Yeah. yeah. Well, then afterwards, you got Trip, who's you know denying any kind of attraction to her whatsoever, which changes by the fourth season when they're a couple. But anyways, right, right. <laughs> yeah. well, but, it yeah. sort of changes even a little bit in this episode. He admits that yeah. he's kind of attracted to her as well. But yeah, oh, yeah, they get okay. drunk and they start talking about her her physical attributes, and it's that's really well, uncomfortable. one of her phys. They start talking about her her bum to use yeah. the yep. word that Malcolm uses. Yeah. So the the thing about micro singularities or mm -hmm. mini black holes is those are not uh, the Archer treats those like oh that's this Vulcan fairy tale stuff mm -hmm. yeah there's no evidence of those and this is one aspect where the science has not aged well on this because micro black holes are not really controversial today they are not really right. controversial. They also wouldn't behave the way they do here. Now, they the Enterprise apparently is invulnerable to them because if they polarize their hull plating, the black holes will not penetrate it. And, mm -hmm. okay, that's actually okay mm -hmm. because you can have electrically charged black holes, at least in some versions of physics, and... And if you have electrically charged your polarized your hull plating, yeah, you could use a magnetic field to deflect them. But we're told that they impact systems in a way that damages them because that happens both to the alien ship and the shuttle pod. Mm -hmm. And they like rip holes in um, an oxygen tank on the shuttle pod. And then we're told they dissipate on impact 
with the Enterprise's polarized hull plating. And none of that makes any sense for micro black holes. Micro <laughs> yeah. black holes would, would not have the kind of macroscopic effects that they're talking about here, and they wouldn't dissipate on impact. They'd evaporate in a fairly short period of time, which is why even if the CERN super collider is making them, we don't really have to worry about it because they evaporate so quickly. Mm-hmm. But the science hasn't really aged well there. And it's a little distracting. I mean, I, I, I don't think these were even controversial back in the 1990s when this was made. Yeah. yeah. So, I so I, it's, it's hard. It's a little hard for me to be tolerant on that point. I do like, though, finally the Vulcans being right about something because, <laughs> because it's like, oh, time travel, that human fairy yeah. tale. Well, I like having something that, oh, that's a Vulcan science fairy tale, but then it turns out to be right. So I like that. I was going to say, it is a flip on that, that whole idea of, oh, yeah. time travel doesn't exist. That's, you know, humans have just made that up. And, of course, they're proven wrong. So it kind of flips that. So, yeah, I agree with you on that. Yeah, it, it does kind of make um, uh, Archer look a bit like a country bumpkin for disputing it, you know, and, and, and it's being true. But then he turns around on her and is like, well, hey, I'd be less concerned with trying to win the Nobel Prize. Like, hey, <laughs> that's a little unfair to her. I mean, she's the science officer. Her job well, is to, to. Especially to, since he stopped to look at the damage on his ship for, you know, <laughs> yeah. five minutes. They couldn't take five yeah. minutes to go on the hole and do a little scan and then go and get going again. Yeah. Like, uh, you know, it's not going to, I'm not talking, we should stop looking for a trip and, and figuring out the problem. <laughs> the cause of the problems we've had recently is within the legitimate duties of the mm-hmm. science officer. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, I did want to mention that Malcolm throughout the episode, he's, <laughs> he's, he's the pessimist. He, he, he's like, we're, I'm a realist. We're going to die. Tucker is the optimist. He, we're going to be saved. And Malcolm is taking a and personal log of his coming death. They're both irrational in, yes. in how they approach this. Like, Ma- Malcolm is also incredibly insubordinate in this episode. Yes. And inconsiderate. Mm-hmm. He, yeah. he dictates his, he's dictating his, his death log while Trip is trying to sleep. And I'm like, find a keyboard and type it. Like, yeah. stop, stop dictating it while well, the guy's and, trying to sleep. Well, apparently he also has a woman at, uh, you know, a woman at every port because, I mean, he's got like all these women that he's had relationships with in the past. And and of course, we find out he's not not close to his family. He wasn't close to any women. And the Enterprise are only people he's ever gotten close to. And I I like that he's sending basically a form letter to all his past relationships. Like it's the same basic letter where he changes the one thing he remembers about them. But otherwise, it's the same letter. (laughs) Um. He's he's obsessive about this. This is, you know, initially, and this is so badly played by the writers, because as soon as he starts dictating anything, Tripp is all over him and criticizing him. And Tripp should have been tolerant of of him, especially as a superior officer. You got a junior officer, you're concerned uh, that the two of you are going to die. It is entirely reasonable for the junior officer to want to have some kind of after my death message mm-hmm. and yep. and trip should not have been criticizing him for recording that that's entirely reasonable but then as malcolm becomes obsessive about doing it it would be reasonable for trip to begin to criticize him and and so forth but that's not what they give us they give us both characters are irrationally obsessive mm-hmm. and unpleasant mm-hmm. from the beginning even to the point where Malcolm, you know, wants to shave 
in in Tucker's in, in Tucker's like you know why well, he says you know nice you're developing a more positive attitude about survival you know, you're shaving in order to you know look good and Malcolm was like nope I want to die looking good and Tucker yeah. lays out a an urban legend yep. that is not true uh, if I remember my honors biology course correctly your hair and nails keep growing for a while after your death. False. Mm, false. What actually happens <laughs> Fact is... Fact check false. <laughs> what, what actually happens is your skin shrinks around them, making them appear to have grown after your death. Yes. So your, your hair and nails do not continue to grow. Oh, we should mention, speaking uh-huh. of scientific urban legends, at some point it turns out they have... So they, they're making like their pre-prepared MREs in mm-hmm. the microwave, which is apparently really right. fast, which I yes. was fine with. You know, the 24th century microwave or 22nd century microwave should be really fast, I guess. But they also have a bottle of Kentucky bourbon that we're told belonged to the captain and was he was going to give it to someone. So what is it on the why is it on the shuttle pod? <laughs> why why isn't it in the captain's quarters or in the galley or something like that? They it they it's totally un ridiculous that they have a bottle of the captain's bourbon on the shuttle pod on their mission i oh he just he hides them in every shuttle pod don't you know that (laughs) he's got one just in case he's the one who gets stranded out there i think they said that it was like intended for like the corridans the corridanites remember the episode where they went to corridan and it was supposed to be a gift and then they got waylaid and he probably forgot it on board Mm. or something although i'm not sure i'd forget a bottle of kentucky bourbon Mm. especially when (laughs) Well, you yeah. just can't go down to the store and buy one. I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I, I mean, if, if from a writing perspective, just just have Trip have brought it along for their t- three day ridiculous mission, you know, <laughs> yeah. because it's going to be boring. So, you know, just to have him bring it along. We don't need this elaborate explanation. But then Trip, when he proposes to start drinking it, he says that this because at this point they're they they've turned off part of their heating system in order to extend their oxygen supply somehow it's like it'll it'll it, they, they're going to divert power from heating to the oxygen scrubbers something like that and uh so they're going to get cold and he says well the bourbon will supply the heat and actually no another urban legend scientifically the bourbon will dilate your blood vessels and cause you to dissipate heat. You may feel warmer, but you will actually be aggravating hypothermia. Mm-hmm. You will die faster. Yeah. Yep. Uh, the The bottle was labeled Dorton's Best, which is a reference to Louise Dorton, the show's art director. But oh. if you'd like to get a, a bottle that looks just like that, apparently that's Fris Vodka, F-R-I-S Vodka. So if you want to even use a bourbon bottle. Yeah, Not- if you, you want to if you want to cosplay a futuristic Kentucky bourbon, uh, you can go get some frisk vodka. So the solution to their problem because mashed they want potatoes, to- mashed yeah. potatoes is the, <laughs> That's solution the solution to their yes. problem. They they get hit by more micro black holes and they use mashed potatoes to seal the leaks, which is absurd. Mash, uh, yes, mashed yep. potatoes will not seal your 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 hull punctures. <laughs> I mean, Actually, you, you wonder how gummy those mashed potatoes apparently are that were reconstituted in the microwave because <laughs> apparently they're they're pretty thick and gummy. I, I mean, use the packaging that they're in, like uh, just hold that up against the hull. Yeah, or, you know, that and, would be better. It's got more structural <laughs> integrity than the mashed potatoes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, no, but their solution to get the attention of the uh, of the Enterprise is to blow up their impulse engine and uh, to to attract them to so that they hopefully they will see it, which is. 
the same solution that we had for the Galileo 7, essentially the solution yeah. we had for the Galileo 7. And it's just kind of like the flash we should have seen if if Enterprise's engines had been destroyed. Exactly. <laughs> right, right. And then, of course, they have to wake up in sick bay, and it's exactly the same sort of situation that Malcolm had in his dream, including which beds they're each laying on. Mm-hmm. And then he says something embarrassing to, to Paul, you know, and she's confused by his weird statement and uh we move on from there but uh yeah he says isn't there something you wanted to say to me uh about heroics uh, like, good night lieutenant it's so painful <laughs> yeah. why would he expect her to do that in real life yeah well he's apparently like still half drunk and and groggy from oh. waking up well but... uh, he's got a really bad liver then because dr flock says it took three hours to get your body temperatures back to normal that would <laughs> yeah. that would burn off three drinks that's true that's true that's about it Anything left to say about this episode, Father Corey? I'm glad we don't have to watch it again. <laughs> I've forgotten it. Yeah. I, I did too. I, there are elements I like about it. I I, I mean, I kind of like learning more about Malcolm. I think he's an interesting character. He could he could have been a more interesting character through the seasons, if there'd been more seasons. Um, I, I, I was kind of imagining what it would have been like if there had been different characters here. Like if it had been Merriweather and Trip. That would have been a, a, a much different experience. Malcolm kind of has a reputation for being kind of aggressive and prickly. I think that's what they've made that character. So I thought that was kind of different in in in, in that sense. But yeah, the, the the plot holes, the conveniences, just the the whole setup in order to make this convenient lifeboat situation with without taking into account. You know, what you could have done, which would have made it work. That that does bother me. So another first season Enterprise episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jimmy, did you have any other notes? I didn't ask you if you had any Yeah, notes. so there's a really unpleasant moment or fairly early in the episode where they're talking about the – they're talking about girls and Trip mentions a waitress in Mill Valley. And Mill Valley is a real town. It's in the Bay Area. It's where Invasion of the Body Snatchers happens. Nice, but uh, uh, but there he says there was a bar there that all the academy people would go to, and Malcolm's like, "Oh, the six hundred two club. Oh, you know it? Yes, I do. Um, yeah, there was a there was a a girl there that I really fell in love with for a while named Ruby, and I wonder whatever happened to her. And it's like, oh, Ruby the waitress. Yeah, did you know her? And Malcolm's line is, "I knew her more times than I can remember." Mm-hmm. And it's yeah. like, ooh, yeah, that was kind of gross. That was gross. Um, I, mean, I hate to say that that's very much a stereotype of any place that there's military, but still, yeah, it's still that you don't need to intrude it into the writing of my family-friendly no. Star Trek show. No, right. Archer is really rude to T'Pol. <laughs> I'm, As usual, <laughs> I'm uncomfortable <laughs> with the way, even drunkenly, the way they're sexualizing T'Pol. I don't like that. Mm-hmm. Then they have this clumsy moment of role reversal where the whole episode, Malcolm has been the pessimist and Trip has been the optimist. And then they hear a message from Enterprise and Trip and realize it's not destroyed, even though we, the audience, have known that the entire time. So it's not a surprise to us. And thus they, they are having a hard time. The writers have created a harder time for us to put ourselves in the heads of these two characters because we already know what they're only discovering. And Tripp says, that's impossible. And Malcolm says, don't be such a pessimist. 
that's Hoshi. And it's like, yeah, I see what you did there with the role reversal of pessimist mm-hmm. and optimist. It's not that impressive. <laughs> For some reason, they're, the Enterprise, in order to make the timing of this work to where even though they know the Enterprise is alive and is meeting them at this new rendezvous point, they're not going to have enough time to get there. Because for some reason, the Enterprise is traveling at warp two or three instead of five. And that just, that doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. You you know, you have this fancy warp engine, you're using it all the time. The whole point is it's a, it's a it'll go warp 5.4 or something. You should be traveling at, ships, ships don't travel ordinarily at one quarter speed. Mm-hmm. You know, they travel at their standard cruising speed. And Enterprise at least should be doing that, if not more, since they've learned there are dangerous micro black holes in that asteroid belt. They caused a problem for this alien ship that caused it to, you know, be destroyed. And Mm -hmm. Archer himself has acknowledged that Trip and Malcolm may have, quote unquote, a rough ride. And so it's like maybe you want to go back there faster before what happens to the other ship happens to them. Uh, So that was, you know, lame. Also, uh, they, they, they're kind of inconsistent in the cold phase of the show with how much vapor we see coming from their mouths. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we see a little bit, but most of the time we don't see any. And then trip decides to commit suicide towards the end. Mm -hmm. He's going to seal himself in the airlock so that there will be more air for, Malcolm and they fight about who's going to be the one to commit suicide. And in the end, neither of them does. Right. Well, <laughs> because Reed points a phase pistol at him and says, I'll shoot you if you try to kill yeah. yourself, uh, which is another, again, that part of that role reversal, like you're mentioning mm-hmm. the, the, the optimist versus pessimist. So didn't like this episode. No wonder I yeah. forgot it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it is kind of forgettable. All right, so that'll do it for Shuttle Pod 1. Let's move on to our listener feedback. Yeah, from that's got to be first, better. It yeah. is definitely better. Uh, our first bit of uh, feedback comes from Casey, who sent an email about our episode 160 on the Menagerie. He said, uh, or she, a great episode. I love the cage and the Menagerie both. Discovery's generous treatment of Pike and his crew have only deepened that love. I appreciate how this episode contrasts not just two different captains, but two different tones. Star Trek would have been much different following the trajectory of the cage. I kind of like its darker, quirkier edge in contrast to Kirk's Enterprise. Finally, it's odd that Roddenberry changed the title from Cage to Menagerie, but dropped footage of other caged creatures, yeah. which is kind of funny. Uh, so, yeah, it, is, it would have been a very interesting, very different Star Trek as, envi- as originally envisioned, that's for sure. That um, was one of the criticisms the network had, was they thought the cage was too cerebral. Right. Mm-hmm. It was in line with a lot of sci-fi of the era that was mm-hmm. kind of darker and, and cerebral. Um, obviously, <laughs> the network, I guess, was right <laughs> because we still have Star Trek today. So, um, I, mean, I, I do wonder how many of the scripts that eventually became season one of Star Trek had already been in production mm-hmm. as the pilot was being when the pilot was rejected, or if a lot of that was done after when they did the second, they brought up the second pilot because that would change the tone. Yeah, they weren't they weren't in production, but they did have basic ideas for episodes that Roddenberry had worked out. So I, I just I wonder I, I just wonder how much that would have affected the tone of the series going forward from the original pilot 
Yeah. They're probably, I mean, there would have been differences, obviously, you know, they're starting from a different start point, but I think there would have been a lot of similarities too, though, that would have come out over the years. Yeah. 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 True. You just would have had Captain Pike making ridiculous speeches in the Omega glory instead of Captain Kirk. <laughs> <laughs> it right. turned out better. Oh, I'm not kidding. <laughs> so, uh, our next feedback comes from Paul who, uh, sent a YouTube comment on our episode 163 on Star Trek six. That was the second part of our discussion uh, Jimmy and I had. Uh, he said, uh, another A-plus episode. I think this was the last Star Trek movie I saw in the theater. Mm-hmm. There was a respectful silence when the dedication to Gene Roddenberry came up on screen. Definitely one of the best entries in the Star Trek canon. And I agree. I, for yep. uh, Mileage may vary, but of the Star Trek movies that are Star Trek movies as opposed to Galaxy Quest, I think, mm-hmm. I think Star Trek Six is the best. Yes. I agree. Yeah. Uh, I, I would have, yeah, it's funny before our discussion, I would have, I would have said Wrath of Khan, but yeah, Star Trek six is really, it's got elements that really Let's, propel it. Up. Mm-hmm. It's, it's yeah. definitely up there for me. I, I can't say for sure if it's the, the, my absolute favorite or not, but it definitely is up there. It, it's an excellent movie. Yep. All right. Well, thank you both for your feedback. We, we, we really appreciate, we love getting feedback from our listeners. Uh, We want to take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including Jeanette F., Joseph S., Benjamin C., and Bill and Joanna M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. We'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So that's it from us. We'd love to hear your feedback on ShuttlePod 1 or anything we've talked about. Let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or send an email to trek at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the first episode of Season 2 of Star Trek Lower Decks, which starts this coming week on Paramount+. Plus. So Ooh, if yay. you uh, if you have not yet watched Star Trek Lower Decks, uh, find out why. I think all of us agree, right, that it is the best of new Trek right now, the best new so Trek So far, it's the most enjoyable. <laughs> it yeah, absolutely. is. And uh, find out why we think so. If you haven't watched it yet, go, watch, go subscribe to Paramount Plus and watch Season 1 and join us for a discussion of Season 2. We've decided to cover each episode of Lower Decks as it comes out. So uh, it, it's, this is going to be a lot of fun, very enjoyable. So until then, Father Corey Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Don. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, and live long and prosper. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, an officer at his best is always well-groomed. Says the three men with beards. Well-groomed beards. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha.